Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. You're listening to Setting the Pace, your go-to Pacers podcast with Alex Golden and Michael Focci. Miller for three. Oh, he banked it in. He banked it in. And the game is tied. We're going to overtime. Warren lets it fly. Yes. T.J. Warren is not human. Ranger catches, shoots for three to win it. He hits it. To go. Brogdon for three. Let Got it. Go. it. O'Neal drives on Yao, puts it in! Duarte for three. Boom, baby! Anthony attacks oh. Hibbert! Denies him at the rim! Karis LeVert. People don't realize how good he really is. LeVert! Skies high for the jam! Stevenson passes into Sabonis for the basket! Jackson turns, fires, Smoke! Flips it to the big fella, fake shoots, and hits! What's up, everybody? Uh, this is Dwayne Washington Jr., and you're listening to Setting the Pace. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Setting the Pace, and we have a special treat for you, Fachi. Joining us today is our original third co-host of Setting the Pace when we first launched us back in 2019, the one and only Tyler Smith. Tyler, what's going on, man? Hey, hey, it's been a minute, boys. How you doing? The three Musketeers are back. It always feels great to get the band back together. Absolutely. So Tyler is just incredibly busy writing books. He's coaching a basketball. He's covering the Pacers for Indie Sports Legends. Just doing a lot of work over there. Tyler, do you have anything you want to plug before we get today's show started? Uh, well, if you want to, if you're into reading, um, I got a book out called Searching for Seven. So there's a, you can find it on Amazon and Barnes Noble, but searchingforseven.com, and then uh, always the indie sports legends. Uh, we're a little quieter during the off season of basketball, but with the uh, season approaching, we'll really ramp it up and always appreciate when uh, people check it out. Yeah, absolutely. So I want—I I know we always plug people at the end of the segment, but I think we should just do it at the beginning, let them get it out of the way. So we are going to talk a little bit today in this first segment about the interview Rick Carlisle did with the sideline guys on the sideline guys podcast. So Fachi, I'll start with you. Any big takeaways from that podcast, anything you want to hit on that you, uh, that you heard? Yeah, I would say one thing that stood out the most is basically when Carlisle addressed TJ Warren, he says, it's going to be a while. He said that he'll be okay, but they really don't know when. And then that basically led to the real reason why they went so hard at uh, Torrey Craig so early. And you and I had been wondering, basically, there has to be a plan if they went after Torrey Craig on the first day of free agency in the first 10 minutes. And I think the Pacers knew all along that Warren probably wasn't recovering as fast as all of us had hoped. No, absolutely. I think, I think that was one of the biggest takeaways too, because we had Kevin Bowen on and he was like, well, I'm not sure if they knew it was going to be this way, but I've always said, regardless of whether he was going to start the season or not, you need that insurance because with the amount of foot injury history that TJ Warren has had, you clearly cannot bank on him being healthy for the entire season. He did it one time 
And that was a couple of years ago when he went off in the bubble and finished out that season. But, you know, other than that, it's not been really something you can bank on. So Tyler, uh, you, your thoughts on that. And then anything that you want to add that you heard from the sideline guys podcast that you liked. Yeah. It's also not too surprising uh, that Warren is not fully healthy. I think some fans are thinking, man, it's been, you know, over, he missed a whole season, but remember last year started later. Um, I know the initial timeline was uh we, we were kind of unsure, but some people were saying as little as six weeks, and that was kind of unrealistic. But it really, when you look at the actual timeline, it wasn't that long ago. Um, he's coming into a contract year. He wants to be right. The Pacers want him to be right. So probably better, you know, as much as uh, fans would love to have him right away, um, probably better to just make sure that he's 100%. And then I think uh, for me, the biggest takeaway from the Carlisle podcast was his praise of Isaiah Jackson. Mm-hmm. Um had a couple quotes in there about he's never seen somebody block so many jump shots as him, which is, he said, it's very interesting because, you know, you think about protecting the rim, which he talked about him doing that as well. Said he can guard any position, all five positions on a switch and do it well. So I, I'm just a believer in Rick Carlisle's uh, talent evaluation, I guess. And so when, when you hear him talk about, because, you know, some coaches, they talk about their draft picks and they're like, yeah, they got talent, but he's really high on him. And, and that could be a big deal. Definitely. I I thought that was another thing that stood out there. I mean, true high praise for Isaiah Jackson. I mean, this is someone that we really didn't know how he'll be able to fit into plans this year, but the way Carlisle spoke about him, it it feels like he's going to try and find a way uh, to get involved. I mean, really talked about how Isaiah is working on that three point shot. So he can play a little bit of the four more. Uh, I like that a lot. And then also he did have some praise for Chris Duarte Um, Duarte, which you know, I, I know Carlisle's ceiling was a bit lower coming into the league, uh, you know, back when he got drafted, but he said that he was also 24 years old. <laughs> and he said that no one is more NBA ready in this draft than Chris Duarte. And uh, I, I love that because, hey, I'm thinking this guy's good to go right now. But hearing it straight from Carlisle has me even more of a believer in Duarte. Oh, yeah. And I, I think one of the great things he said, too, is, you know, we weren't able to keep McDermott. So there, that definitely did play a factor, I think, in what position they might have targeted. I think they liked Duarte all along, and it happens to be the position or the same area and does a lot of the same strengths of McDermott, but you're hoping he'll be a much better defender than Doug is. So that's exciting. But I, I think one of the most interesting things he said, too, in this whole entire conversation, there was a lot of, you know, coach speak, a lot of just answering things but not really answering too much. But I thought one of the best things that he talked about was how difficult the schedule is at the beginning of the season and mentioned, you know, last year with Dallas, they started off, they were like 13th in the Western conference and people were starting to question them. He said, that'll really, you know, tell me what's uh, what this team is made of. And so I think that that's something to keep an eye on too, you know, having that tough schedule, we know the month of December really favors the Pacers with home games, but that first part of the schedule is just a little bit brutal. And I was glad to hear him kind of address it, not for an excuse reason, but hey, you know, our guys are going to have to really figure out a way to handle this schedule. And if we get off to a rough start, write that ship. Tyler, did you find that interesting? For sure. And it's kind of interesting that with some of these injuries that are, you know, happening here at the beginning and also getting acclimated to their third coach in three years, you know, there could be some growing pains there at the beginning and you add on the, the tough schedule so what's going to be very, very important is if the Pacers can just tread water and, and you know, maybe even be, you know, 500 through their first handful of games, um, because then things can shift. Maybe, 
And again, we don't know when Warren's coming back, but maybe they get a little healthier. They start to get their, their feet under them under Carlisle and can have a, a big uh, run in December and uh, things can change in a hurry. Yeah. And while I also love that, you know, outside of the schedule, Carlisle mentioned that he met with everybody kind of, you know, for the most part, visited players, wanted to really build those relationships. I think that was great. But one name I also heard mentioned a few times was Jeremy Lamb. And it, and it sounded like the way that Lamb's name was brought up a few times, it, it sounds like he will be involved. So I feel like given the, the recent injuries lately, it seems that the Pacers are more than fine holding on to Lamb. Sure, they'll work out their tax issues, you know, right up against that tax, basically. But Jeremy Lamb, they said he, he's looking better. He's been working out over there. And it, it does sound like he'll, he will be in that rotation. Did you guys see that uh, any other way based on his comments? Tyler? Uh, yeah, that was my takeaway as well. Um, I actually re-listened to uh, Carlisle today, um, or listened to it twice, and and, uh, and and that that was probably top three of my takeaways as well. He, he talked about it, and just kind of the, the way he said it, it was almost like telling fans that, like, hey, don't forget about Jeremy Lamb. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know with his injuries and with, uh, you know, some trade rumors and stuff like that, he's like, don't forget that we got this guy, and he's looking good so far, so – um, him and, and, you know, like 10 other guys, it's like, if they can just stay healthy, they can contribute. And, and so right now with the other uncertainty with the injuries, uh, lamb is not a bad guy to have around. Well, let me ask you this, Tyler, have we been a little bit too harsh with our slander or criticism of Jeremy lamb? Um, I think it's kind of one of those deals where I want to say yes and no, which is maybe a cop out, but it's like, uh, you know, a portion of the fan base when they are like done with a guy, they're done with a guy. They want nothing to do with them. They want him traded. And you can understand it when, if a guy doesn't play well, or if he just is consistently battling injuries, but at the same time, he has shown flashes in each of the last couple of years. And before he came over um, with Charlotte, where he is a very serviceable player. I mean, there was a stretch last year when some people were calling for him to start. So um, I, I, I think the, I was one of them. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, a portion of the fan base is probably too harsh on them and, and want them gone, but it's like, man, when, when you're losing guys, you want as many bodies that are able to play as possible. Hey, I had, I don't even want to call it a love hate relationship with lamb, but <laughs> I remember when we signed Jeremy lamb, I was ecstatic. I thought he could have been a true six man of the year candidate. And, you know, I'm definitely someone who's been guilty of over the last few months, kind of throwing him to the wolves, being like, look, what can we get for him? You know, I got a Jeremy Lamb. He's ready to go right now. Just just let me know what you're willing to offer. But, you know, it doesn't look like a deal like that's going to happen. So, hey, if he's ready, you know, to play, he's going to be in the rotation, then I'm welcoming him with open arms because the Pacers have guys dropping like flies right now. So we could use uh, as, as good as Jeremy Lamb could be, sign me up. Yeah, I think some of the concern was just the the lack of O'Shea Brissett comments. A lot of Tory Craig, a lot of Jeremy Lamb. You know, they're probably going to play Duarte. Isaiah Jackson got a lot of praise, and then you have to consider the fact that you know they've uh, they've got Goga there as well. So it's how are they going to figure out this ten man rotation? Are they going to go eleven deep? Are they going to go nine deep? We don't really know yet. I'm curious to see how he uses this rotation because I didn't have Edmund Sumner in my top ten at this point. And I didn't have Jeremy Lamb in my top 10, but without TJ Warren, if you slide Lamb up there into that top 10, it can become kind of crowded. So, Tyler, I mean, where do you envision Jeremy Lamb in this rotation? And do you think O'Shea Brissett still has a solidified spot? Yeah, that's one of the most 
interesting storylines that are coming up. I think uh, media day is next week. Maybe we'll hear some answers there. Um, and then training camp, obviously, and some preseason games. But I feel like coming out of camp, I feel like both of those guys um, will crack the rotation. And, and what's going to be very interesting as well is Rick Carlisle's known for adapting uh, to different matchups. Um, it's not always – there was a time in his career when it was maybe more, you know, these 10 guys, but he has been a little more adaptable. And, I, you know, if you look at even ESPN's Pacers depth chart, they got guys all over the place. I mean, you obviously can't trust it very often, but just to see this many names despite uh, T.J. Warren being out, um, the fact that they got O'Shea Brissett as like a, a fourth string or maybe even a fifth string at each position – um, I think he's just too good not to play. They're going to have to find a place for him. You also have two or three guys that they keep talking about. They can defend the two, three, four, maybe even the five spots. So because they're interchangeable on the defensive end, where are they going to slot offensively? You know, you think about even the, the starting, like who's going to take that starting spot. Um, I, I cannot imagine any scenario. Chris Duarte is not, not only in the rotation, but playing a lot. I think he's going to play a lot. So they brought Craig to play Holiday's going to play. So, yeah, uh, those other guys got to fight for their spots, but I would imagine they find a way somehow for Lamb and Brissett to both be in there. I very much like that. I mean, Alex, it's valid. I mean, Brissett's name was not brought up. And while not everyone's name was brought up, like I don't remember Karis LeVert's name being brought up. And I think Brogdon was brought up one time. So I don't want to overlook or look too into, you know, anything like that. But O'Shea definitely packs a, a bit less of a punch than the starters, which you know you don't need to talk too much about. Yeah, I just find it interesting. He brought up Torrey Craig, you know, filling in for T.J. Warren. So does that mean Craig starts? We don't know. Justin Holiday could start. And then at that point, you're just kind of looking, okay, so if Holiday starts, you got McConnell, you've got Duarte, you got Lamb, you've got Torrey Craig, and then you've got Goga, and then you've got O'Shea. I mean, there's 11 guys you can play right there without T.J. Warren. It just becomes really crowded, and I'm just hoping that, you know, we heard a lot of praise for O'Shea from Kevin Pritchard, but at the same time, Rick Carlisle has to make that decision, and what is his, you know, reputation? He doesn't play a lot of young guys. I mean, that's kind of been his reputation. So O'Shea Brissett, while we had him at the end of last season, it was kind of like the spark that inter interested us to see a new guy on the court. He does have some flaws to his game. I don't think he's the perfect player, but – I think he's really the only true power forward that we have on this roster. And then you also have to wonder if they're going to stagger these double big lineups, you know, and, and, and go with so bonus as a solo center and Turner as a solo center, you know, someone's going to have to be cut out of the rotation. Clearly Goga will be at this point, but who else gets cut out of the rotation? It's just, it's one of those things where it's, I, I just kind of scratch my head and I, I think it's a big puzzle and it's a big mystery, but that is definitely something to look forward to at training camp. So, Tyler, you brought up training camp, which is just about a week away. If you're listening this, to this on a Tuesday, we're recording this Monday evening. It is a week away, and I can't believe that we're already here. Are there any things that you're looking forward to uh, about training camp this season? Well, I'm still waiting to hear if, uh, how, you know, what media day is going to look like. Last year was all virtual. Um, I know some of the press conferences have been, you know, media has been allowed, um, socially distanced with masks and everything. And, so that's what I'm hoping to hear. I'm hoping to be, you know, on site uh, for media day on uh, next Monday. And then, uh, you know, just as you mentioned, all those storylines that are going to uh, come together, I think it's going to be beneficial for this Pacer group um, to have, you know, a lackluster season last year. There's going to be a lot of hungry players. 
hopefully, you know, we know that a lot of these guys say the right things, but hopefully this time there's even more of a chip on their shoulder with a lot to prove. There's a lot of guys in that locker room that have something to prove. But um, as we've been talking about all these different names, where are they going to fit? Is it something that's going to be different every game? Will we get a feel in Rick Carlisle's comments um, when we ask those tough questions? If it will be more based on matchups or who's the hot hand, or does he have, you know, a, a strict kind of plan already in his mind to go into the year? You know, Keelan Martin was a name that they did bring up in the episode. Uh, Rick spoke about him very briefly, just one of the players that's back over there. Tyler, what do you think happens with Keelan's contract as it's still not guaranteed? Um, man, that's a tough one. I think he's another guy that they're they're high on, and he's a good guy to have around. So, um, you know, the the specifics of the, the contract I need to look a little more closely into, but I think – he's a guy that they would like to, you know, try to find a way to keep. Um, I think he's really more of a depth piece um, for the, you know, the roster, the way it's currently constructed, there'd have to be probably several injuries for him to, you know, crack some minutes, but I think he's a guy that they want um, if the financials work. Yeah, I completely agree with that. It's one of those things where they did put in a, put in a, I believe it was an injury exception for Edmund Sumner to try to get that. And I believe it's half of his contract, which, would be around $1.1 million. The veteran minimum is like 2.4 right now. It's what Oladipo signed for with the Miami Heat. So you couldn't even sign a player to that veteran minimum right now with the injury exception. So that's something they could use later down the line in the, in the season as that veteran minimum continues to decrease as the year goes on. I think that that's really an interesting thing to keep an eye on. But with that being said, you have to release a player to be able to add a player with that injury exception. So if you release Edmund Sumner, unfortunately, you couldn't get that exception because he's no longer on the team. So it would probably have to be somebody like Keelan Martin if you found a veteran that you liked. I know there's been some rumblings out there about maybe Wesley Matthews and Lance Stevenson. With that being said, I don't anticipate either of those guys being brought in right now. See how the season plays out. But we know Wes Matthews did play for Carlisle in Dallas at one point, and he's been here with Indiana you know, would be his third time under Pritchard in that regime. So curious to see what the Pacers do. I, I mean, Keelan Martin definitely, I believe, deserves a spot over those two guys based on how they've continued to push back that guarantee date. They clearly won him on the roster. Looks like they were trying to find different avenues to maybe, you know, create a spot for him on the roster. But with that being said, I, I'm not sure what they're going to do, but it could also become a situation where they use that injury exception to offer a guy a G League that's, that's in the G League, a contract similar to what they offered O'Shea set last year, because I forget how much it is, but I don't believe it was $1.1 million. So I don't think so. Either. Yeah, I think it was like in the like eight to nine, year. yeah, eight to 900,000 per year, something like that. So maybe if they find a diamond in the rough like that and they feel like, hey, Keelan, you know, you're just here for a year, we'll cut you, bring this guy in. But it does count against the tax. Everything still counts against everything. So it's not as plug and play as maybe we would hope it would be, but that's that. Tyler, do you agree with any of my comments on that or do you disagree? Oh, I, I completely disagree. I'm just kidding. No, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm just playing with you. Yeah, those are all good points. Um, I, I, you know, you mentioned the, uh, the Lance and West Wesley thing. Um, I personally, and I'll, I'll eat crow and admit I'm wrong if it comes out to be wrong, but I don't think there's any truth whatsoever to those. I think, uh, I don't want to be too rude in case uh, the people uh, happen to listen to this podcast, but 
I think there are a couple of sites out there that just like to, uh, you know, rile some folks up. And, and a lot of times, Come on, it's uh, I would, I, yeah, I would even say completely make up, like not even we, you know, we have an unreliable source. Like sometimes I think they actually just make things completely up to get the clicks. And this could be one of those cases. I'm absolutely with you, Tyler. Look, we don't need to throw out any names out there. <laughs> it tends to be the same person or, you know, select few that throw out the same Pacer rumors that never come true. At yeah. that point, I'm surprised. Why wasn't CJ Miles' name thrown in there? Because we're just, <laughs> we're just naming former Pacers that are available on the market. So yeah, I saw I, I happened to see uh, Andrew Bynum uh, downtown oh, India. No. Just kidding. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah, no, I think it's funny too because it's the same and it's the same people that continue to put out fake trades for the Pacers every single day. Um, it's like I don't even know how they come up with ideas at this point. I mean, I, I ran out of ideas after doing like five or six. Like it's just mind-boggling to me how they can come up with so much stuff to get people to click. And then I have listeners of the show that come into my dms and say hey did you see the trade rumor i'm like was it a trade rumor or a trade idea they're like no it was a rumor look and i'm like that's not a trade rumor it's a trade idea there's a difference when someone says three trades that could happen you know it's like it's not they're not saying it's going to happen they're not saying there's any legs to it they're just suggesting so anyway let's get off this uh soapbox here and let's take a quick break when we come back we are going to dive into a very tough exercise. Um, I told Fachi and Tyler, I said, for this, let's look at all the players that have been drafted since 2000. So the 21st century Pacers, how have we drafted? We're going to rank the top 10 draft picks of the 21st century for the Indiana Pacers. And I will tell you, it was not an easy task. So uh, we're going to go get our notes ready. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. All right, everybody, we got our thinking caps on and we are back and we're going to rank the top 10 Pacers draft picks from 2000 to 2021. Let's start with number 10, Tyler Smith. Who is number 10 for you? All right. Well, this is, uh, as Pacer fans know, kind of a tough list when you talk about just from 2000 on and uh, kind of top heavy. But, you know, as fans know, there's been not, not a whole lot of uh, top draft picks selected for the Pacers because they've been a, a pretty good team or a fairly good team for that long. But I am kind of digging into the archives here and I'm going to go with a guy who brought the hype and his name is Fred Jones. And maybe it's more of a, you know, side of me that's a, a fan. <laughs> There's probably some other guys that are, uh, you know, better overall basketball players, but he did have a couple good seasons. He averaged 10.6 one year, of course, the slam dunk champion. Um, average 9.6 another year and, and I thought overall pretty good value for where he was picked so I'm going with the hype man Fred Jones at number 10. And I can't blame you for that he did bring home you know the hardware the dunk contest um, but my number 10 oh man it, it's an ugly list I, I had to be honest I knew how bad the draft picks were but when you you're determined to pick the best 10 that's when you realize how bad it's really been and uh, number 10 I mean it's gross most likely to be punched in the face 
I'm going with Psycho T, Tyler Hansborough. This guy was just, he rubbed opponents wrong. It was not pretty. Averaged nine points, 4.7 rebounds in four seasons for the Pacers. Just never got off to the start that anyone wanted. And to be honest, I don't think we ever wanted him in the first place. But when you're trying to create a list of 10, I mean, essentially, it was between Fred Jones and Hansborough. I probably should have went Fred Jones, but I went with Psycho T. Yeah, so those guys are both on my list, but I won't tell you where. For me at number 10, I went with a second-round pick from UConn, A.J. Price. This is a guy that has a soft spot in my heart, but I actually thought he was a really quality backup point guard, especially third string, and there was times when he actually had to start some when we had a lot of injuries, play the backup point guard some minutes, and I thought he actually did pretty well. I know defensively he could have been a little bit better, but I, I felt like A.J. Price was better than – maybe some people realized and he had a really good run at UConn. I, I, I liked AJ press. I'm not sure if he made your guys' list at all, but um, Did not. I, I definitely had to put him on there, but I could only put him at 10. I couldn't put him any higher. Hey, I don't blame you. If, if, if Tyler Hansborough's 10th on mine, I am not going to knock your AJ price pick. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's move on. Who do you have at number nine, Tyler? So I actually was deciding here between psycho T going number wow. nine and I tell you what, I almost, almost went with a current draft pick of this year um, just because I'm, you know, again, the, the list is, you know, a lot of these guys had like one good season, maybe two, maybe three at the most. So to me, it's not even that far fetched to put this year's draft picks in there. So I was very tempted to even put Isaiah Jackson in this spot because I'm that high on him. But I did go ahead and go with Psycho T. I especially remember that series against the Bulls you know, that steal and dunk across mm -hmm. court when the Pacers were the eight seed really felt like he was a guy that uh, as many, you know, scouts said he was not going to make it in the NBA, but he had a nice little career there at the beginning. It was fun to watch. He really was. It's just someone, man, I, I rooted for him to get better. It just never really happened. Just one of the best all-time college players, but it just didn't translate. But hey, as long as I'm not alone and we have them both on the list, I feel better. Um, number nine. I have a guy that – it's almost like I wanted to be nice. I didn't really – the list was bare bone. I went with Aaron Holiday. This is a guy that shot 39% from three two seasons ago. I mean, I thought he would have been a double-digit guy, but I felt like Aaron Holiday at times flashed enough to crack my top ten list. Yeah, see, for me, it's so hard to sit here and put Aaron on the list. Like, any guys drafted in this regime, it was really hard for me because we pretty much have moved on from everybody besides Goga – and Edmund Sumner, and it's like Sumner's now injured and he's a second-round pick, and it's like how impactful has he really been to his winning not much? Aaron Holiday, like this is a guy that lost his backup point guard spot to T.J. McConnell. So it's like they literally had to move on from him and get like the 31st pick in the in the second round by trading three second-round picks just to move up uh, with the Wizards to get a first-round pick. So as much as I wanted Aaron Holiday to be better than what he was, I just I don't know I, he couldn't he, he didn't he didn't crack my list Fachi, because I feel like as a first round pick you should have higher expectations. The requirements should definitely be averaging at least double figures. He came close like nine point seven, but I do not blame you for leaving him <laughs> off the list. Yeah, this is tough. This is where I fall in with Fred Jones at number nine. Um, this is a guy that won the slam dunk contest on probably the most boring dunks in the world. Uh, I mean, if you go back and watch a slam dunk contest, like, I'm like, okay, why did he win this? Like, I'm not trying to be mean, but it's just like, yeah, I mean, he's a, he's a good guy. I like Fred Jones overall. I thought he was fun to watch. 
part of the brawl team as well. So he was a part of a good era of Pacers basketball, but overall it felt like he was a little bit limited with what he could do and maybe didn't live up to the hype hype completely, but I like Fred Jones. Um, but yeah, that's, that's all I'll say about that. You guys have already kind of talked about, about him a little bit. Let's move on. Tyler, who do you have in number eight? So I'm already interested to hear, you know, what name I, I might possibly be leaving out as I hear some of your guys, you know, some of the things you're saying, but this one is also for me personally, a lot of fans would be like, absolutely not. But for me, it's maybe more sentimental. Um, but the basically the first full season that I got to cover the Pacers, um, this guy was about all they had because of the injuries. So and he really only played well for one season as a Pacer. So that's not very good, you know, to be number eight on a list. But went with Solomon Hill and I don't I don't feel good about it at all. But again, uh, I, you know, had a chance to, you know, for that one season, he really looked like he could have been something and he got paid. Don't forget that he got absolutely paid. Um, the uh, Larry Bird, I think, turned down like a two point eight million dollar, some kind of, yeah. uh, you know, small salary that we were all upset about. And Solomon Hill was not upset because then he got like I forget how much he got, but it was, it was like forty four million. Yeah, it was a crazy number. Kicked off the summer league team. <laughs> yeah. Oof. Yeah, oh, yeah, only one one solid season, but again, with not a whole lot of other options, unless I'm forgetting somebody down there. Then, uh, yeah, yeah, kind of more hey, sentimental there. I tell you what, if that Solomon Hill near game winner was about point one or point two seconds earlier, he's on my list. But I remember <laughs> when that one did fall against the Raptors, that was tough. That was that was real rough. But uh, you know, for number eight on my list, I mean, like I said, the bottom of the list, it's a little gross. Not the sexiest pick, but. Brandon Rush, he was a guy that was involved in the Jared Bayless trade with Portland. You know, I don't want to call him underrated, but he could shoot the three ball. How do, you, how do you justify Brandon Rush over Solomon Hill? I, as, for, as a Pacer, I thought Brandon Rush's years as a Pacer okay. was better than Solomon Hill's run. Okay, uh, Solomon asking. Hill was a better NBA player overall, made a lot more money to play in the league for longer. But Brandon Rush, his couple years with the Pacers – Averaged nine points, for about four rebounds, and shot over 40% from three during that span. We went through a lot of, you know, kind of a gross production that we named so far. Brandon Rush was actually underratedly decent. Yeah, I, I guess for me, Brandon Rush never lived up to the expectations that I had for him when we took him. I think he was picked 14th overall. It, it was like right, it could have been like 15. Either way, it was right yeah. around there. It was the same as around, it was the same draft we got Hibbert in the yep. trade with Toronto. So that to me was just a tough one. Like I didn't have Brandon Rush on my list. I'll just be honest with you. I just don't me, knock on that. <laughs> well, it's just like, yeah, I mean, maybe he could have, he was rotational, but like you go back and look at Tyler Solomon Hill and it's like at least Solomon Hill impacted a playoff series. Yeah. More so than Brandon Rush. And that's why I have Solomon Hill on my list later. But uh, for me, number eight, it's a guy you guys have already said, I couldn't put him any higher. It was Tyler Hansborough. And oh, wow. Okay. So I had him at number eight. And the only reason I had him this high is because I had him above AJ Price and Fred Jones. He started in a playoff series at power forward. No, he probably wasn't the greatest pick and a lot of people hated it. But at the same time, as a backup power forward in some tough playoff games, he was sometimes that enforcer that we needed. Um, brought some physicality, was a good rebounder, had a high basketball IQ, but clearly just wasn't an NBA player, was a college player through and through, and that was his bread and butter. But I still I still feel like, hey, you know, you could have got a – you could have – I mean, he wasn't as bad as T.J. Leaf, okay? Like, let's just no. put it that way. I think Tyler was much better than T.J. Leaf um, 
And no offense to Leaf, but it's just like, hey, Hansborough at least was able to start in the league for a good amount of time. And he actually, when he was put in that starting lineup with Frank Vogel, that's when the team started turning things around. So I felt like it was fair to put him at that spot. But at number seven, we're going to get into the top five here soon. Uh, Tyler, who do you got at seven? Number seven on my list is number one in many people's hearts. I went with Lance Stevenson, number seven. Uh, he is uh, picked, I believe, 40th pick, mm-hmm. second round, 40th pick yep. overall. Uh, I remember uh, Larry Bird saying how he was, you know, the best overall player in, in camp, you know, when they'd practice and said, just wait, just give it some time. Uh, obviously, he's had an up and down career. He's been better as a pacer than anywhere else by far, especially playing a banker's life. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, you know, he's, he had a good career and, you know, I remember that one year he had what, five triple doubles, I think it was. And yeah, love the league. Of course, yeah. Stealing all those rebounds from Roy Hibbert as, as some fans would say, but you know, he was born ready, fun to watch. And I got him number seven. Hey, nearly an all-star that year. It cannot be forgotten. Uh, but I realized maybe we didn't state this rule before. I know we talked about it off air, but for you guys, what we did is, um, the criteria for this list was, we're not counting players that the Pacers technically maybe wore a draft hat, but were traded elsewhere, such as your Kawhi Leonard's, your Karis Levert's, but we are counting players that the Pacers traded for on draft night, which played for the Pacers in their first season. So that is why Brandon Rush was my pick before. Uh, just to clarify for anyone who's listening, who's like, what are you talking about? Rush was drafted by Portland. So uh, on to my next pick. For number seven, it's about to get crazy, guys, because – I'm breaking what might have been a rule. Maybe it's not a rule. It's Isaiah Jackson. And I'm telling you why. Because his potential far act exceeds, no offense, the Fred Jones, the Tyler Hansbros, the Brandon Rushes, and the A.J. Prices. I'm going with Isaiah Jackson out of pure talent that when it's all said and done, give me his years as a pacer over those. So it's the mystery box. Uh, Well, it is a mystery box, and it's more exciting because we don't know what he's going to be. And I – for me, I couldn't justify putting anybody drafted this year on my list because I haven't seen them play any NBA games. So it's like we might think Chris Duarte is going to be better than A.J. Price, but what if he gets hurt and never plays? Like we just don't know. I'm not wishing that upon him, but it is the injury in a Pacers, so you never know what's going to happen with this team. So um, I think we could agree, though, that if Chris Duarte is not better than Andrew Price, the Pacers are in trouble. <laughs> hey, they, they drafted T.J. Leaf. Okay, come on now. Like, yes. trying, like, yeah, I am offending T.J. Leaf at this point now. Like, I'm not going to say no offense, but Isaiah Jackson, like, I think Fachi was listening to that Rick Carlisle podcast with the oh, sideline got me guys. fired up. And fired he was up. like, oh, can I put Isaiah Jackson number one? <laughs> Oh, talking about being able to switch and defend anyone. I'm like, you know what? He's recalls like, I've never seen anyone block shots like this. I'm like, yeah. all right, you know what? You're on my list. Do this, yeah. do this exercise next year or the year after. And I think Isaiah Jackson might, you know, crack the top seven, top six, you know, like he's already on you. What is he number seven for you, Fachi? So number seven for me, but it's, it's, it's by default of some poor draft picks <laughs> below him. Yeah. So this is where I have Solomon Hill for myself. And, it was really hard to put him up this high, but it's like at least he contributed to one competitive playoff series. You know what I mean? Like at, at 23 from Arizona, like nobody really expected the Pacers to draft him. We were all expecting somebody different. I think this is the same draft that Draymond Green was selected in the second round. So I think a lot of Pacer fans are like, can we please get Draymond? Because we're all familiar with the Big Ten and we knew how dominant he was there with Michigan State. 
And then Solomon Hill is like, you know, this, the senior that was a decent forward, but really didn't do too much. And then, like I mentioned earlier, got kicked out of the summer league. Basically they sent him home because out of shape and wasn't really being the leader they wanted. And quite frankly, it was a kick in the butt. I think, I think Kevin Pritchard and Bird have both talked about it, how this was like a wake up call for him and ended up being a good thing for him, but too bad it got to that point because I think he's still like viewed as like a solid veteran, a guy that you don't really rely on, but good to have on your roster. And he's lasted in the league quite a bit, Memphis and Atlanta and New Orleans. So we'll see. I think he was with Miami for a second too, if I'm not wrong, but um, we'll, we'll see yeah. what he does with the rest of his career. But clearly he's an end of the bench guy and I'm looking strictly at Pacer career as well when doing this exercise. So let's move on to number six, Tyler, who you got? Number six, so I am more in line with the uh, Fauci philosophy on this one, um, which I understand, Alex, your hesitation when the guys have not played a single game yet. But again, I go back to the fact of the, the bottom of the list being pretty subpar. So I've got Chris Duarte as number six. Uh, I'm a big believer in him, uh, especially when I hear Carlisle, Pritchard, and some other guys talk about him and, and his teammates. Um, I just think he's a guy that you know, we all believe is NBA ready. And I think we're going to see uh, a pretty, pretty solid career. Um, who knows how many years he'll be a pacer, but I think he's going to be better than the previous list so far. Hey, I just caught the hot tag from Tyler. I'm in and I'm right with him. Chris Duarte at number six. Alex, I'm telling you, give me the mystery box every single time. <laughs> when you look at those names, Chris Duarte, it feels like inevitable that this guy has to be better than the rest that we just went through I mean 13th overall he's already a higher draft pick than I believe everybody that we've named so far I, I believe so Brandon Rush was the one that was like at like 14 or 15 but Duarte from what I saw from summer league truthfully was more than what I saw from any of the rest of those guys in the NBA it sounds mean but give me Chris Duarte number six hey no I mean I love Chris Duarte now yeah <laughs> after yeah. the draft right you know I mean um, oh, yeah. after seeing him in summer league, I love his story. I love everything about what he is as a person and as a player. I wish him nothing but the best, but you guys know he did not make my list because I've already told you that I did not put any current players on there. So I cannot keep this hot tag game going. <laughs> Telephone is officially run by me. And this might be a bit of a surprise here. I'm probably going to get tweets on Twitter, um, <laughs> about this, but at number six, this is where I put miles Turner. And I know that you guys have him higher. Tyler, you had Lance Stevenson below him and Duarte, which I found a little bit surprising seeing that he played on uh, on a team as a starter that went to the Eastern Conference Championship back-to-back -back years. For me, Miles Turner overall is a really good player. Um, I'm not discrediting him by putting him at number six, but over and over again, I feel like players continue to get prioritized over him on the starting roster. While he's the longest tenured pacer right now, defensively they rely on him a lot but offensively he continues to be pushed down the totem pole and we're going to see what happens with him and Rick Carlisle Rick Carlisle's had a lot of praise for him this year but he's not been a part of a successful playoff team there have been some really good regular season teams but nothing that makes you feel like oh this is a contender he's almost been traded the last two seasons so to me it's like this is a guy that while he has a lot of potential still and while he's a very talented young player he has not impacted playoff winning playoff success as much as the guys above him have in my book. So that's why I have him at number six. And uh, we can get into that debate if you guys want to throw anything out right now, or we can wait till you guys maybe bring him up later. 
I think we can wait until we bring him up later because I, I believe strongly that Tyler and I probably both have him on our list. Um, <laughs> I would hope. <laughs> yep. Now I would say, uh, so is that uh, Tyler up now next? Yeah, Tyler up to our top five now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a good segue for me because that is exactly where I have Mr. Miles Turner, okay. number five on my list. And obviously we, we see the impacts on the defensive end. Third coach in three years. Last year is the year that we thought, okay, new coach, modern system. We thought he was going to explode. But as you said, you know, the usage rate, everything um, seemed to trend towards other players. And so now we have what feels like one more opportunity, maybe not for Miles, but maybe, you know, for Turbonis, um, one more opportunity with a brand new coach to see if they can make it work and not only make it work, but, you know, have, uh, have Miles be a more focal point of the offense. So, um, I think he's going to take at least a small jump up offensively this year and continue to uh, play really well uh, down the block uh, and on the perimeter defensively. Um, so Miles overall, uh, pretty good slot where he was uh, uh, chosen, and he's had a nice career. Hopefully he takes a jump up this year. All right, so moving over to my next, uh, we have Jamal Tinsley, an underrated point guard, someone who the Pacers acquired on draft night. Guy that you kind of forget, but he averaged 10 points and seven assists for seven seasons for the Pacers. A true point guard, someone that you know could rack up assists. Uh, great at steals, but just never accurate. He never an accurate shooter, point guard on the 61-win team. You know, just I felt like what kind of soured it was also hearing that Jamal Tinsley was kind of really vocal, saying like, Ron, get your foul. You know, hearing that in the documentary and everything. Kind of felt like we really didn't need you to be, you know, instigating like that. And uh, I felt like at that point, I, I liked Tinsley when I was, you know, when he was a, a point guard for the Pacers during that time. But he's kind of someone that's really forgotten about, but he's fourth all time on the Pacers assist list. Wow. Fourth all time? Yeah. Wow. Okay. I didn't know that about Tinsley. So that's pretty cool. Uh, yeah. I think Jamal Tinsley is a little bit underappreciated. I, I think the new generation of fans don't really know much about his game there's not a lot of clips of him out there on youtube and stuff for people to look up they probably just hear about all the bad stuff that he was involved with and it gives him a bit of a bad reputation but jamal zunsley was a really good basketball player and a really good point guard actually for the pacers but for number five for me i've got miles Plumley. i just felt like he was really dominant for the pacers um, I'm just kidding. Yeah, right. I was going <laughs> to say, I was like, whoa, where is he going with this? Oh, I thought it was Mason Plumley. Sorry, I got confused like Bird. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> for me, number five is Lance Stevenson. And the reason I put him above Miles Turner was just because, like I said earlier, he started on those two teams that made back-to-back Eastern Conference Finals runs, almost an all-star. I don't think Miles has been close to that yet, unfortunately. Just not enough opportunities for him to really showcase why he should be an all-star. But Lance led the league in triple doubles one year back when triple doubles, you know, were few and far between. He was really impactful. I know that he's had some rough off the court stuff. Everybody likes to bring up what he did when he was 19 years old. I'm not justifying that. I'm just saying as in terms of how he impacted the Pacers basketball wise, it was pretty good. Now there was times that he was a little bit too crazy. And maybe that's why Tyler had him further down the list because there was times that his, you know, antics, got in the way of success. I mean, Bird even talked about just play basketball and he couldn't help himself, you know, flopping and blowing in the bronze ear. You know, the fans loved it, but it wasn't the way to win basketball games against a star-setted team like the Miami Heat. But for me personally, I just love the fact that he did not fear those guys. 
And sometimes I feel like this Pacers team, they just missed that bulldog. And, and Lance was that wild card. He was that bulldog. And there were times when he would just put his shoulder down and drive through a big guy and put a layup up or make a flashy pass. I and mean, we even saw it when he came back. Lance to me is just a fun guy to root for. And I know that at this point in his career, he's an end of the bench guy, not in the NBA for a reason, but for what he was at that time, he brought more to the Pacers in terms of impacting them in the playoffs than I would think, you know, any guys that we've mentioned yet. No doubt about it. No doubt. Tyler, who do you got next? So we have the number four. We are. All right. Uh, it's a number four. And my, my list is similar to Fachi's here. I've got Jamal Tinsley. Oh, right. I was, I was looking it up and he's only 43 years old, surprisingly still. So, I mean, he can uh, <laughs> wow. maybe be the third stringer uh, point guard here, but he had some, some big years. You mentioned, you know, top five and assists all time, but I'm looking at some of these numbers in 2004, 15.4 points, 6.4 assists, four rebounds, two steals. You know, fans of today may hear that and say, yeah, that's not bad. But in 2004, that is getting it done. You know, the game was quite different in 2004. So he, uh, there was a, really only two years where he shot the three well. Um, he shot 37% a couple of years, but also average, had seasons of 12.8 and 6.9 assists. Um, his last season as a pacer, 11.9 points, 8.4 assists, 1.7 seals. So good player overall. Um, and yeah, you mentioned, uh, you know, the, you know, watching that documentary and uh, maybe some of the fans being their first taste of Jamal and, and obviously leaving a sour taste in their mouth. But before that, he was a very solid point guard. and He was drafted with the 27th pick. Yeah, I mean, I would just say the, the Tinsley time, it was fun. I want to say that he had a game winner against the Spurs like so many years ago that I just remember when the Pacers were never beating the Spurs. So it was a fun experience on the court. You know, you love a guy that can really set his teammates up. And that was uh, Jamal Tinsley. Uh, moving on for next on my list, I finally have Lance Stevenson, a second round pick that nearly became an all-star. I mean, I just felt like this is a guy that we're still hoping comes back to Indiana because he was that fun to watch. And Alex, like you mentioned before, I think if he doesn't go to Charlotte, I think he probably, I can't say that he is an all-star, but I say that he continues the run that he was on because he went to Charlotte and it all really fell apart. He bounced yeah. around Minnesota. I mean, it, it got, it got ugly for a bit, but Lance was someone that Tyler, you brought it up five triple doubles. It doesn't sound like much now, but it led the league back then. And I remember Alex, we talked about big playoff performances. I want to say it was like 27 points to be exact against the Knicks in that yeah. I believe it was game six when we moved on or whatever it was, was on fire. He was on fire and he didn't mind ruffling the feathers of, of your opponent whether it's LeBron or, or anyone else Lance got underneath your skin and he contributed offensively both sides of the ball for a second round pick I mean he exceeded expectations by far well let me ask you guys both this I'll start with you first Tyler then we'll go to you Fachi hypothetically speaking I know Paul George broke his leg the year that Lance went to Charlotte but had Lance stayed in Indianapolis and continued his career with the Pacers how much different do you think his total NBA career is? Very, very different. Completely, I think he, yeah. That year, he, he could have been one of the go-to guys on offense. I mean, you got to think about it. You remove Paul George from there. You're still looking at, you know, George Hill, Roy Hibbert, David West, Lance. I, Lance, I mean, I don't know what efficiency, but he, he could have averaged maybe about 20 points per game that year. I'd probably put it up at least around 18 or so. 
Yeah, Tyler, any thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah. Just I mean, the entire trajectory of his career just completely changed. And and if you look at the numbers specifically, you know, the the shooting numbers where he's never been that good of a shooter, but for you know, as a pacer and at Banker's life, there were some pretty big splits. Um, he's just comfortable there. And and again, with or without Paul George that season, you know, being comfortable, being a near All Star. Um, never leaving that environment and just constantly being surrounded by that group of people and the fans. Um, I'm not saying he would have, you know, done better than he had his career year, uh, but he definitely would not be bouncing around like he is and, and, you know, having trouble finding the job. Oh, I completely. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. We both agree with that. And, you know, you think about it, CJ miles, Rodney Stuckey and Solomon Hill were the starters at the two and the three until those guys got back uh, or until Paul George got back. And then of course we did not have Lance on the team, but you insert Lance there. Maybe you don't rush Paul back as quick and everything comes to life, but it's just, it's frustrating because we all like Lance and we were all kind of disappointed that he left and really he didn't leave for much, much money. You know, it wasn't like that much more money was offered to him with Charlotte. I just feel like maybe they, they sold him on the opportunity, but I think if he could play it all back, he would have stayed in Indianapolis as well. And maybe they figure something out, but let's move on. I am going to share my number four and I have Jamal Tinsley for all the reasons I said earlier for what Tyler said. I just feel like underappreciated pacer. I had a tough time deciding between him and him and Stevenson for four and five, because Lance is more recent and what he did was more recent, but Tinsley was really, pivotal for that team success that won 61 games I think actually Rick's first year I think Rick put him back on the bench and he was starting for Isaiah Thomas and then Rick brought him off the bench and then with injuries occurring he got put back in the starting lineup and really just owned it so yes he eventually got dismissed from the team he happened to be at every off uh, court incident that happened with shootings and stuff like that so it, it Things fans wore out quickly with him, but I think at the end of the day, he was still a good basketball player. So let's move to our top three. I think we all are going to agree on our top three here more than likely, but we'll see. Who do you have at number three, uh, Tyler? Number three, I'm going to give a shout out to Michael Grady on this one. I have Roy Hibbert. <laughs> I just like doing that. I miss Michael Grady so much. You have no idea. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so Roy Hibbert's my number three. You know, things didn't end very well, you know, as what we would like with Roy, but, you know, getting him with, I believe, like the 17th pick, is that right? 17th? Yep, yep. Somewhere, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, just, a, just a huge part of the Pacers' success. And, and I'll say this, I was, you know, my first um, media experience, my first Pacer locker room experience was 2014, and that's when things were starting to go wrong with the locker room and specifically with Roy. But before that – um, he was just a dream for the city and franchise. Just amazing with fans. Uh, shout out to Area 55. I was in season one of that. Uh, just incredibly hard worker. Um, one of the best defenders, as we know. And many times he was the main reason. People will argue some other guys. Many times he was the main reason the Pacers went toe-to-toe with the Miami Heat. His numbers against the Heat, where they just couldn't match up with him down low. Um, again, huge. So that's why he's number three for me. All right, guys, we got a little bit of drama here because it turns out I always like to put a little consolation pick in there. So I actually started at 11. So I'm just going to have to go back to back picks here. Um, so it's going to have to be my three and three B um, and three B is going to you do 11. Did you not number it? <laughs> I, I just have it all down on a list and I wrote it out. So I had like more than one line per person. So it ended up. Let's just cut Aaron Holiday from your list. <laughs> yeah, we can cut Aaron Holiday, but. 
So moving over to next on my list, I had Miles Turner. I mean, someone that I know you guys already mentioned, you know, Turner at this point, hey, he's the longest tenured pacer. If you look at his numbers across the board, you know, he's going to end up, if he continues to be a pacer for years to come, who knows, he's going to end up potentially, you know, owning some categories or moving up in those categories. I would say moving up would be fair because he has those like through age, you know, 24, he has the most points for the Pacers, you know, most rebounds or I know I, he did at least like a year ago. So someone who, man, you know, never got on an all defensive team. He's tried to, you know, he's really uh, been vocal about wanting to be a defensive player of the year, but never quite got there. So I feel like at this point, having him number four on my list, he's at least someone who's played longer than the rest of the guys on my list, but also has shown enough where, hey, no one's ever going to call him a bust, not lived up to his potential or anything of that sort. So Miles has had a pretty good career. And while I'm at it, I'm just going to go what would have been my third, Roy Hibbert. I just felt like these two, I mean, it feels like they were, I knew they were going to be duking it out for their spot on my list. But Roy's the two-time All-Star, the guy who actually did make a defensive team, you know, a second team All-Defensive in 2013-2014, I believe. This was a guy that kind of changed how defense was being played for a little bit with his straight-up approach. I remember, you know, Tyler, you mentioned it. He was holding it down in the playoffs. I mean, really, he was a massive difference maker where you actually thought the Pacers were going to beat Miami. So, Hibbert, a lot of people like to think about how the end of his career went. But, hey, when things were going right, Roy Hibbert was a force to be reckoned with. Yeah, you want to relive those days where he was just putting jump hooks, jump hooking them to death against the Miami Heat. And you don't want to remember the pair of Antich days of the Hawks when we had to basically pull him out of the starting lineup and put Chris Copeland in there to guard Pero Antich. It was quite a fall for Hibbert because the league just changed so quickly. But Hip Hip Haroy is who I have at number three as well. Area 55 was one of the first ones to ever get a big fan zone like that going. And it was electric trying out for that. I actually tried out for Area 55. It is on YouTube somewhere, and I do not have access to that account. So if you're listening and you want to go look it up, I am on there uh, doing an Area 55 tryout for Ray Hibbert. Uh, and I did not make it because I, I completely choked when I got in front of him and all of the special uh, guest judges. But I did make it to the callback, so I, I got I got one step further. But uh, Roy Hibbert for me, number three, like you said, just how impactful he was and how much he meant to the team defensively. And offensively, he was actually decent for a couple of years there. But unfortunately, just, you know, ended up getting traded to the Lakers for Rakeem Christmas. And that was the end of his career, basically. So let's move on here to our number two. Tyler, who you got? Number two, I've got, oh, okay, I can do the Michael Grady thing again. Danny Granger. <laughs> How's that? How's that impression? Is that That's all right? pretty good. It's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, Danny Granger, number two. Man, one of my favorite memories, uh, you know, the game where he dove on the floor and knocked his teeth out, you know, when it's the Pacers Boston. were – Yeah, they were ahead. and it's Season open. Yeah, we just signed this guy to a huge deal, and he's diving on the floor. Just uh, just awesome, you know. And we've talked many times uh, on this podcast, if he just had one more healthy season in him, the Pacers probably are wearing rings. Um, but, yeah, almost uh, 10,000 career points, I think it is. I mean, he's just – uh, three baller. Um, I'm trying to remember what exact year it was when he was just unbelievable on the offensive end. One of my favorite all-time Pacers, number two on my list. Hey, there is no doubting that at all. He is number two on my list as well. I mean, you just 
it always comes back to what could have been. And I know you, you just summed it up, but it's the guy that he was a one-time all-star, but the, the production he was putting up when the Pacers unfortunately weren't winning, it goes overlooked all the time. Also most improved player of the year. I mean, someone who is another guy that I believe was right around 17th overall draft pick, whatever it was, it was just outside the lottery. And I mean, he averaged over 25 points per game in a season. Like he was a true stud. Everybody felt that he was also the leader of the locker room at times. I mean, Paul George cited that when they traded Danny Granger, I mean, that was a massive blow to not only him, but also the team. And Granger is just someone that you wish you saw more. You wish you saw more about him because it felt like when the Pacers traded him for to, to Philly for Evan Turner, it, it really was like the end of his career. I mean, I know he ended up playing on, I think it was Miami and the Clippers for a little bit, but those Pacer years were so fun, even when the team wasn't winning. Oh, man. Danny Granger was the heart and soul of that Pacers team during the worst moments of this 21st century. I mean, you think about it, post-Brawl era, he has to kind of be the face of the franchise while the team is trying to reshape itself, rebrand itself. They bring in a bunch of, you know, guys that were known to have clean records, I guess you could say. You, you got Mike Dunleavy, you got Josh McRoberts, you got Troy Murphy. It was just a blah roster, and, and Granger was the only thing that got you excited about it. Then when they finally put together a team that you felt like could compete for an Eastern Conference championship with David West, Roy Hibbert, George Hill gets traded here. You also have Lance Stevenson. You have Paul George. You know, this is a team that you're like, man, okay, let's do this thing. He gets injured. And just injuries caught him at the worst time. That's the reason he fell in the draft. 217 was because of the injuries. We all love Danny Granger. And I think personally in our hearts, he's probably our favorite on this list. I mean, I think all of us would probably say that out of all the oh, guys yeah. on this list, he is our personal fan favorite. Now, overall talent. Might not have been as high as the number one guy on all of our lists. But, yeah, Danny Granger for us, just a special player. And, and really, you just hate that he had to deal with so many injuries. But even when they traded him for Evan Turner, it made sense at the time why they did it on paper. But it also shows how much chemistry and leadership impacts a locker room. And we've seen that the last couple of years with the Indiana Pacers team. They lack that leader. They lack that Danny Granger, not just on the court, but off the court. All right, so we have made it to our number one. I think we all have the same number one pick, but let's just talk about it a little bit. Tyler, who you got? Yeah, well, this is obvious. The only guy that's ever scored 74 points in a pro game, Joe Young. <laughs> I was hoping it was Zeke Anibogu. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, obviously, Paul George is the guy. I'm, maybe not, obviously. There's probably some fans that would not have him number one just because they're still upset at him for various reasons, but – uh, Paul George, uh, clearly from the 2000 era, uh, the best draft pick, selected at number 10, multiple All-Stars, uh, third team, uh, All-NBA as a Pacer, um, the famous dunk, going toe-to-toe -to -toe with Miami. Um, I've mentioned before on this show, I believe that uh, PG-24 is one of my all-time favorite uh, Pacers. Um, things changed a little bit when his number changed for whatever reason, but man, he was a good player, still an incredible talent and uh, I just don't think you can argue with that guy being number one on the list hey love him or hate him no doubt about it Paul George is one of the most gifted players to ever put on a Pacer jersey that's why he's number one on my list um 10th overall pick in 2010 I think he could have gone down as potentially the best Pacer of all time or at least owned our records I mean you can't knock Reggie's longevity 
but from just a, a, a sheer basketball talent standpoint, playing both sides of the ball, I think Paul George could have been someone that you know would have been an MVP candidate for the Pacers. And the injury, I think, changed everything. I, I really felt like when he came back, things were just kind of different. Um, team was different at that point. You know, same players, but you know, felt like that was their window. And man, Paul George, eh, there's just no knock in putting him number one on this list. Yeah, no, it's he's definitely the most talented pacer that's been drafted in the 21st century. I mean, without Paul George elevating into who he was, you don't go toe-to-toe with Miami. I mean, no. look at what he did in game five of that 2014 Eastern Conference Finals. Just LeBron and Dwayne Wade are, you know, cashing threes and, you know, they're switching on defense to see who's going to guard Paul. And it didn't matter because Paul was just drilling him in their face and, I think you bring up some great points there. Both of you guys talking about the change, maybe it was the Jersey change, maybe it was the injury, but I just think if you look at Paul's career, his first year in the NBA, he doesn't really get to play too much under Jim O'Brien. And then when Vogel takes over, he's a starter and he starts to taste a little bit of the playoffs going up against Chicago. And then the next season, they take Miami to six games in the second round. They win a first round playoff series. And then after that, they're in back-to-back Eastern Conference Finals. So he has tasted some really good playoff success in his first four years of basketball. And then he gets injured. He comes back the next year after that injury because he played like, what, I think like a total of six to eight games before he re-injured himself and was out for the rest of that season. It was just almost like he got back too early. Maybe they should have let him sit out the whole season, but I think he wanted to get out. But he came back that next season, was on fire to start the year, if you guys don't forget. And then he kind of hit that wall middle of the season where his shot wasn't falling and he looked fatigued. But you think about it, you go from playing with Lance and Hibbert and West, and then you go to playing with, you know, Monte Ellis, uh, Jan Mahini. I mean, no offense to those guys, but that's when everything started going downhill. He didn't want to play the power forward position. Bird wanted him to play that. Bird was basically saying, hey, he don't make the rules around here. I make the calls, you know, that kind of thing. So a lot of things went wrong for the Pacers and Paul George, but he became a franchise player really quick. He got his money because he earned it. Clearly was a top 10 player at one point. He almost helped us beat the Raptors in a seven-game series. It's just one of those things where you wish everything would have gotten better. But I really think that we overlooked the fact that he had such great success early on in his career that he got that taste of it and wanted to continue with that and never got a chance to taste that again in, in Indiana based on poor roster construction by Larry Bird. So Tyler, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I agree with all of it. I mean, it's, it's like kind of a, maybe not even, um, as they say, a tale of two halves or two stories of the guy. Maybe there's like three in there. Um, it's just getting a chance to kind of be up close for some of his, his quotes and his things that, that, you know, where things went wrong, but it was electric um, seeing what he did. And, and uh, as you said, those expectations that come on, you know, we, we have some early success, but it was fun. I, I try to remember the good and, and the good times. It's no small thing. You know, people will say, well, I didn't win a championship, but it's no small thing to take a small market to a couple conference titles and, and the fun that that brings the fan base and something to be proud of. Absolutely. I mean, we'll all look back on those conference finals and, and it was just such a fun time to be a Pacer fan. I think I told Alex this before, but I had a, a PG 24 Jersey that I brought uh, to a Pacers game. And I think he was still on the team at the time, whatever it was, I was trying to get some autographs. I hung it over the railing and the only person that grabbed it and where I couldn't pull it back. True story. 
TJ Leaf signed that jersey in a ballpoint pen where you could barely even read what he wrote. Just absolutely ruined that jersey. Never wore it again. Still have it in the closet. But just a tragic end. Like the, it felt like the final nail in the coffin on the PG-24 era. And uh, I got to live with that, you know. But at the same point, that's why I never bought a PG-13 jersey because I like to remember PG-24 memories. <laughs> no, I think we all agree with that. The PG-13, he became a brand. He became someone that was more worried about marketing himself than, you know, winning basketball. And, you know, maybe that maybe that's a little bit harsh to say, but it is what it is. He asked for a trade after saying a bunch of stuff about not wanting to leave Indiana and win a championship here. It's like, why wow, you can't ever believe some of these players when they say stuff like some of the stuff Oladipo was saying last year, going up against J. Michael's reporting, like just a lot of stuff to go on. But anyway, that wraps up our top 10 list. So just to do a, a quick recap, Tyler, start from 10 down to one. Who uh, Can you re, uh, give us your top 10 list? Yes, I went Fred Jones at 10, Hansbro at nine. Uh, trying to remember if I forgot Solomon somebody. Hill at seven. Yeah, Solomon Hill. Yeah, and then I went Lance at seven, Duarte at six, Miles Turner five, Jamal Tinsley four, Roy Hibbert three, Danny Granger two, and Paul George number one. All right. All right. Fachi, we were a little confused because you had 11 guys in your top 10. Oh, so yeah. can, you, uh, can you run it down for us and decide what you uh, put for your top 10? Love to break the rules a bit, shake it up a little bit, but I've decided to cut Aaron Holiday. Um, <laughs> we're out with the old, you know, I don't want to cut it in with the new, but we're in with the older. That's Tyler Hansborough at number 10, um, Brandon Rush at number nine, Isaiah Jackson at eight, Chris Duarte at seven, Jamal Tinsley at six, Lance Stevenson at number five, Miles Turner at number four, Roy Hibbert at number three, Danny Granger at number two, and Paul George at number one. And for me, my top 10 was A.J. Price at 10. Yes, A.J. Price. I said that. Number nine, Fred Jones. Eight, Tyler Hansborough. Seven, Solomon Hill. Six, Miles Turner. Five, Lance Stevenson. Four, Jamal Tinsley. Three, Roy Hibbert. Two, Danny Granger. And one, Paul George. So we had a consensus top three. Um, let's, let's just, for fun, let's do a consensus top five. Who do you guys think we should put at number four? Who'd you put at number five just now? The consensus? Well, the consensus top three is Paul George, Danny Granger, Roy Hibbert. We all had that in that order. So at number four, I had Tinsley at four. I think Tyler had Tinsley at four. But at number four, you had Turner. Yeah, I had Miles Turner. I mean, I I had Tinsley at at, um, six. six. So I guess he would average out at like five for me. Um, Yeah. I guess collectively. Who did you have at – who did you have at – At four, I had – I have five at Lance Stevenson. I had Lance at five, and you had Lance at seven, Tyler? Yes. And you had Miles at what? Five. And I had four. And I had him at six. So I think I think fairly here we have to say Jamal Tinsley gets the four spot. Turner gets five based on you guys having Turner four, five, six. We have Tinsley four, four, six. And then Lance getting a seventh place vote really knocks him down the list. So – um, I think at number four, we got Tinsley, number five, Turner for our consensus list. I mean, uh, you might not agree, Fodge, but that's kind of where I think it's at. Hey, I'm, I'm fine with it. I, I showed some love to, to Miles over there. I thought it was good because a lot of players didn't have longevity. I took that in there. But Jamal Tinsley, for his prime years, they were good. I mean, Tyler mentioned that stat line you threw out there. I mean, it's 
it wasn't even just that year steals wise. He had a lot of years where he averaged like one and a half, 1.7 steals. Like he was doing a lot. He actually had a, a five by five game that, that I remember, which you don't see those often, you know, whether it's five points, five rebounds, five assists, five steals, five blocks, did it. And uh, just showed he was a special player. Yeah. I think it's funny. If you look at it, our top six guys, if you put Lance on the bench as our sixth man, you got Turner and Hibbert up front with Danny Granger and then Paul George and Tinsley in the backcourt. You know, you could have a worse starting five. I mean, that's not a bad starting five. If you bring Lance off the bench in his prime, maybe sub out one of the bigs, that's a pretty good, that's a pretty good core right there. So I think we did a good job putting our list together. So with that being said, that is all we have for today's show. Fachi, where can the people find us at on social media? So you can find us on Twitter at setting the pace three. You can find Alex on Twitter at Alex Golden NBA. I could be found on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. Tyler, tell them where they can find you on Twitter. At Tyler Smith underscore I-S-L. And you can find us on Facebook at Setting the Pace. And you can find us on TikTok at Setting the Pace. And if you're a fan of Roy Hibbert cheers from Area 55, say these three words. Let's go Pacers. Oh, we have some smothered chicken on that one. Some smothered chicken.